0: Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by His Spirit, will use His Word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemernoxville.org. We also wanna give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemernoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much. And here is this week's sermon. Well if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with me you can do so by turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 21 you can also follow along with me in the pew Bible that's in front of you or you can follow along with me in the bulletin it's been provided for you there as well I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning it's great to have you with us my name's Sean Slate and the pastor here and we're glad you're here cuz we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing This morning, for instance, uh, you could be brown, you could be blue, you could be violet sky, you could be hurtful, you could be purple, you could be anything you like. uh, Or some of you, I think, are picking up. You could be a TikTok uh, trend. Uh, But you're not doing any of those things. Uh, You're here with us. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time than worship Jesus and consider his claims upon your life and think about the beauty of his kingdom. And so it really is great to have you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God. And we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world uh, to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together in his name to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. And we love to get together and tailgate and go to the farm. And we love to hang out with each other. We love to read the Bible. We love to pray together so that we can remind one another of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban University in Knoxville and hopefully in some way would spill out into the entire earth, right? That's who our people are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that, we're in the middle of a series that we've entitled True Spirituality, Reflections on Paul's First Letter to the Corinthians, and throughout this series, what we've been hoping to see is that true spirituality isn't so much uh, the, the disciplines that we do to make life work for us, it's not so much levels of spirituality that we work ourselves through, it's not even so much the experiences that we have, but true spirituality is actually the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the curriculum that the Holy Spirit is using is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. And so what the Spirit is doing in all of our lives is He is working His death and His resurrection into our lives. All right. So this morning what we want to consider is our spiritual guide. Okay, Our spiritual guide. So with that in mind, let's look together. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll begin at verse 6 and we'll go down to 21. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want, already you have become rich. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant. As though are not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? This is the word of the Lord. Do you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful uh, that you are a God not hidden nor silent, but one who delights to reveal yourself to us so that we might know you. And it is our prayer uh, that uh, you now would attend unto us by your spirit as we attend unto your word, that we would see beautiful and lovely things of you in it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I'd assume that many of you, when you were growing up, you played that schoolyard game, uh, follow the leader. And if you did, I'm sure you remember marching around the playground, following the leader uh, under the swings and up the slide and across the monkey bar singing, right, from, uh, we're following the leader, the leader, the leader, we're following the leader, wherever he may go. Uh, but you also know if you played this game uh, that following the leader gets old very quickly. and uh, And eventually... There is someone who is bigger and stronger and cooler who will uh, start a revolution. And he will turn on all those who are following and say, you will not follow him anymore. You will now follow me. And then the game will slowly begin to devolve like a conga line at a wedding that's gone on for way too long. And uh, that's the way the the game always ends. And and this is sort of what was going on uh, in Corinth. Right? They were a divided people. And one would say, I follow Paul. We've talked about this. And one would say, I follow Apollos. And another would say, I follow Cephas. And they were boasting in these leaders that they were following. But not only were they boasting in the leaders that they were following, they were belittling those who were following after different leaders. And so Paul says to them in verse 6, I am writing to you, so that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. And then he goes on and he says in verse 16 and 17, I urge you to be imitators of me and my ways in Christ. And if you keep on reading through 1 Corinthians, and you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, this is really important because Paul is not saying, follow me, not Apollos. What Paul is saying is, follow me in the ways of Christ. And that is what the Bible is inviting us to do this morning, to follow in the ways of Christ. And so that's the point. I will follow in the ways of Christ, right? I will follow in the ways of Christ. Of Christ, would you say that with me? I will follow in the ways of Christ." And you see this beginning in verse six. I, "I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written." And so what Paul is saying is this, he's saying, "Look guys, Apollos and I, we've talked. we have no beef. <laughs> There's no beef with me and Apollos. In fact, we want both of you to learn from us not to go beyond what is written. Well, what is written? What does he mean? Well, what is written is code for what the Bible says. He's saying, I don't want you to go. We don't want you to go beyond what the Bible says. And so in the first three chapters of this book, Paul has quoted the Old Testament five times. And the way he bookends these quotes, you see it in chapter one, verse thirty-one, he says, So it is written, let no one who boast boast uh, let the one who boast boast in the Lord. Okay? And then he ends the bookending of these quotes in chapter three, verse twenty-one, when he says, Let no one boast in men. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, let no one boast in men. And this is precisely the problem that was going on with the Corinthians. They were boasting, right? They were boasting in men. They were boasting in themselves. And in verse 6, he says, They were puffed up, one in favor against another. And I love this language of being puffed up, like like a balloon that has been filled up with air. And that balloon, it looks big. It looks full. uh, And yet a balloon is light and it's weak. You see, the people, they're puffed up. They are not filled up. They are puffed up with themselves, and they're puffed up with their own wisdom and the wisdom of the world, rather than having been filled up with Jesus and the wisdom of God. And they are boasting in themselves, boasting in what they knew and who they knew and the gifts that they'd been given. And so Paul says to them in verse 7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And and here's this point, he's basically saying y'all are bo- boasting, y'all are dividing, you're all puffed up. You're no different than any other human being on the face of the earth. Everyone is boasting. Everyone is dividing. Everyone is seeking their own glory. Everyone is puffed up in self promotion. And so he says here's the problem with your boasting. You're boasting in all these things you know, and all these things you do, and all these things you have. But everything you have was given to you by God. You are boasting only in that which you have received he's saying all is a gift. Everything you have is a gift from God. Your salvation is a gift. Your faith is a gift. Your friendships are gifts. Your jobs are gifts. Your families are gifts. Your righteousness is a gift. Your place in the church is a gift. The car that you drive is a gift. The opportunities before you, they are gifts. The people you know, they are gifts. The books you've read, they are gifts. The air that all of us just took into our lungs, it is a gift from God and we did nothing to receive it. And God, in his grace, is the one who has given it to you. And so he says, why would you ever boast? Why would you ever think that you were better than someone else? And what he's doing is he's saying, look, the gifts of God ought to lead to thankfulness, uh, not haughtiness. Or to put a little spice on it, uh, uh, the gifts of God ought to lead to gratitude, right, not Attitude. And so uh thank you Ben I uh, appreciate it uh, so think about it this way um, it, with me there's there's this popular new book out there that a lot of people are reading. You may have heard of it it 's actually a series it 's called Harry Potter. And it's about, it's about this boy uh, who finds out that he's actually a wizard, and uh, he's been invited to come to this magical school that's called Hogwarts. And there at Hogwarts, uh, magic happens and mayhem happens. And one of the things that's really fascinating, if you've ever read these books, is that everyone at Hogwarts is magical. Everyone at Hogwarts is either a witch or a wizard, except for maybe Filch, who's a squib, but he's still a magical creature. Uh, But if you're at Hogwarts, everything is magical. And the only way you become magical is that you receive it. No one did something to become magical. You either were magical or you weren't magical. It was a gift given to you, and you're invited to come in. But if you read the books, uh, you begin to realize that that didn't stop the magical world from dividing and from boasting, right, there were purebloods, and plug your ears, there were mud mudbloods, uh, there were squibs, uh, and everyone is taking sides. And then throughout history in the magical world, these wizards would arise and they would think that they're the best and they'd want to be the best, the most powerful, the most prestigious, and they would want to use this gift that they had received for their own glory, for their own power, for their own recognition throughout the world And then they would draw people to themselves. And people would draw near to them and draw near to all these different wizards. And they'd become their followers and bask in their power and bask in their wisdom and bask in their glory. And and if you've read the books or heard of these books, uh, I'm not sure, uh, what you realize is all of these divisions uh, are the things that lead to all these squabbles. It began on the first train, right, between the Weasleys and the Malfoys. Uh, You see it as they divide up between the Slytherin and the the Gryffindor and the Hufflepuff and the Ravenclaw. The the original founders of the school couldn't get along wanting to be the best and the the bravest and the smartest. It even takes on grander proportions and Grindelwald and Dumbledore and Voldemort and Harry. And um, it's why the Elder Wand actually became the most prized possession throughout uh, magical history. And in the end, like all of these divisions, they just, uh, the divisions of the gift led to so much death. But at its root, right, the magical war was purely a gift that only to be received. And so, why divide? Why fight? Why boast? This is what Dumbledore is always asking. It's what the hat is always asking. Why would we puff ourselves up? Why do we need to write seven books about this? Uh, and the same is true uh, with Christianity. It is all a gift. Jesus is the giver of the gift of himself. Jesus gives himself to us. And he is the one that we center our lives upon together. And therefore, thankfulness and grace ought to characterize the people of God. Not boasting. And therefore, I will follow in the ways of Christ. I will follow in the ways of Christ. Would you say that with me? I will follow in the ways of Christ. Now, when we look at the Corinthians, they, they were becoming uh, just like the world around them and just like the world around us. And they were evaluating themselves. They were judging themselves. And they were desiring for themselves the things uh, and the ways of the world. And so the reason that Paul is writing to them is to reshape their vision of themselves, to reshape the way they understand themselves. He wants to help them begin to understand their life and who they are in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, the the Corinthians uh, had begun to see themselves not through the lens of Jesus, but through the lens of using the language in the text, kings and queens, they had begun to see themselves as prosperous and impressive, and, uh, and not only did they see themselves in this way, this is what they believed deep down that the Spirit had promised them. And this is why they began to look down upon Paul, because they saw themselves in the gift of God as being impressive, and when they look at Paul, he is unimpressive. Unimpressive. And so in verses 18 through 13, uh, or verses 8 through 13, uh, Paul's writing them. And as you read it, it feels as if Paul is kind of writing to them to say, This, you think you're better than me? Like, you think you're better than me? And then the image that Paul uses is that of this Roman triumph, which is this parade where the emperor and the victorious generals would lead the parade through the streets. And behind them, the victorious army would come, and their servants would come, and their supporters would come. And then bringing up the rear would be the slaves and the defeated army for the whole world uh, to see and for the whole world to mock, verse 8, so that they would become a spectacle because they were sentenced to death. Now, when the Corinthians think about this, they see themselves as those who ought to be at the front of the parade, They're the ones who uh, ought to be filled with glory and power and victory and acclamation. And Paul writes to them as if to say, my friends, I hate to break this to you. Jesus was actually at the back of the line. Jesus was at the back of the line. And the way of Jesus is not glory first. The way of Jesus is death first and glory later. I'm not really that sure that we're different from the Corinthians, uh, because I think if we're all honest, we too want to be at the front of the triumph. And we all too tend to think that uh, glory now, right, is what we are made for. And not only is it what we are made for, I mean, we think glory now is what we deserve. And this is why I think when life gets really hard, uh, we get really angry because we didn't deserve it right and 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 when life gets really complicated we begin to think that god must be against us but one of the things that that paul is is telling us and helping us to see is that the way of god is at the back not at the front that it is always death before glory because that is the way of jesus And Paul begins to drive this home in verse 10 when he says, You think we are fools and you are wise. You think we are weak and you are strong. You think you are honorable and we are of disrepute. You see, the Corinthians, they they long for this thing that we all long for, respectability. They long for this thing we all long for, which is success and power and privilege and prestige. And we're no different, right? I mean, as Christians, we long to be associated with prestigious institutions and powerful, prestigious people. And we want to be from important places, or at least on our way to important places. Uh, We want to be associated, and fortunately, this weekend, we are associated with a winning football team. Uh, We want to be associated with wealthy neighborhoods. And we actually, if we're honest, judge one another by our involvement in these things. And just to pull a little veil back on a pastor's life, even as pastors, we, we judge our churches on what we call the killer bees, uh, budgets, buildings, and bottoms in the seats. And the more of all of them, the better, right? And, uh, and y'all judge your pastors too uh, on You want them from fancy schools with impressive credentials. Forgive me. Uh, Sorry. And uh, you want your pastors to know and be known uh, by the right sorts of people. And here's the deal. I mean, if we're honest, we are all looking for something other than Jesus to set us apart and make us seem impressive in the eyes of the world. And what Paul is saying is... You look down on us, apostles, because, verse 11, we're hungry and we're thirsty, we're poorly dressed, we're buffeted and homeless, we work with our hands. And when reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure, when slandered, we entreat. You see, for the Corinthians, the goal of Christianity uh, was essentially uh, to avoid suffering. The goal of Christianity, like Christianity was supposed to be a guide uh, for self-improvement and self-actualization and self-empowerment. And Paul is saying uh, to his friends in Corinth, uh, you've missed the way of Jesus. You've missed the way of Jesus. The way of Christianity is not your own self-advancement. The way of Christianity is to go to the back of the line. Because it's at the back of the line where you will find Jesus. And because that is where Jesus stands, that is where Jesus walks, that is his way. Therefore, I will follow in the ways of Christ. Therefore, I will follow in the ways of Christ. Would you say that with me? I will follow in the ways of Christ. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that good schools, good friends, uh, nice houses, honor, respectability or power are bad things. What Paul is saying is that they are not the goal of all things. He's saying they are not the promise of Christianity, and they are not the pattern of the Christian life. The pattern of the Christian life is Jesus. And this is Paul's point. He is saying, you despise me for my poverty and for my weakness, and because of my poverty and my weakness, you think my life is beneath yours because it's unimpressive. But the fact of the matter is, is that my unimpressive life actually reflects the life of Jesus. I mean, think about it. He says, y'all make fun of me because I'm not well dressed. Jesus on the cross was not dressed. He says, Y'all make fun of me because I'm thirsty and hungry. And what are the words of some of the last words of Jesus while he hung on the cross? I thirst. You think that, that my life is worthless because I'm homeless and I travel around. What about Jesus? Matthew chapter 8, verse 20 foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You, you, you mock me because I work with my hands. Jesus, uh, we assume, worked with his hands as a carpenter. Uh, All the social elite made fun of Paul. He wasn't impressive. He wasn't attractive. All the social elite made fun of Jesus because he was born out of wedlock. And the very act of crucifixion meant that the religious elite and the political elite of the day thought that Jesus was the scum of the earth, worthy of being cast aside like the refuse. And it's as if Paul is writing them to say, you are looking at my life and evaluating me through the eyes of the world. And when you look at me through the eyes of the world, I am worthless to you. But I'm inviting you to see my life and imitate my life through the lens of Jesus. The one who is the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. The one who had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought peace, and with his wounds we were healed. And if we're honest, I mean, this is why we look at Jesus. This is why we love Jesus, because he laid his life down for us. He went to the back of the line for us. He was despised and rejected and misunderstood and cast off by us and for us. Right, that is the way of Jesus, and that is the life that the Holy Spirit is beginning to work into us. Our good friend C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this. He asked this question in his book *Mere Christianity*. He said, "Is Christianity hard or is it easy?" And in a perfect uh, way, he says, it's both harder and easier. He says, Christ uh, says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. And I, and I love what Lewis is picking up on here. He's saying, look, it, it's hard and it's easy because God is promising himself to you. And that really is the promise of the gospel, that God will give himself to us, that all who follow after him will receive him. And I I know uh, that many of us want glory. I know that many of us want riches. I know that all of us want great families, we want great friendships, we want We and all these things. Uh, But they are death without him. But they are death without him. And Jesus is saying, follow me, and I will give you myself. And this is why Paul is so adamant when he writes to them in verse 14, and he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And he's saying, I'm writing to you because I love you. And I'm telling you these things because they are the truest things. And I am inviting you to begin to view your life, not through your success and through your accolations, but I'm inviting you to see your life through the lens of Jesus. First death and then resurrection. Now, I'm afraid that most of us uh, are afraid of death uh, because we are afraid uh, that glory might not come. We're afraid of dying, we're afraid of serving, we're afraid of loving, because we're afraid the glory won't come. But the promise of God is that glory is coming. Just as it came for Jesus, it will come for all who follow after him. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here's the point. He's saying if you want glory, uh, you must first die. If you want to be exalted, you must first humble yourself and die in loving service to God and to your neighbor. And glory will come. And therefore, I will follow in the ways of Christ. Right? I will follow in the ways of Christ. Would you say that with me? I will follow in the ways of Christ. And that's the point of the supper. The point of the supper is that Jesus is the one who came and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. That, that Jesus is the one who gave his body and his blood uh, in loving obedience to the Father and in loving service to us. And because he did that, he was raised up to everlasting glory where he now sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, ruling and reigning over all things until he comes again. And when he comes again, his promise is that he will raise his people up from the humiliation of death into everlasting glory with himself. And therefore, we come to this table as God's promise that though we all endure death, though we all die to ourselves, and though we all will die, it is Jesus who will raise us up in glory. And therefore, he feeds us to strengthen us along the way as we give ourselves in following after him, which is hard and is easy. <laughs> Because it's he who strengthens us and all is gift. And so he says, come and feast upon me, for I give myself to you. And therefore, uh, I will follow in the ways of Christ. Would you say that with me? I, I will follow, follow in the ways, the ways of Christ. Therefore,